Welcome back to Towerwall's Fifth Wall of Security podcast, where we examine the latest cyber threats, trends, and things you need to know to stay secure. I'm Towerwall founder and CEO, Michelle Drolet. Today's episode features a recent conversation I had with Josh Davies, Principal Technical Product Marketing Manager of Fortress Alert Logic, to discuss how persistent adversaries changed web application attacks. I hope you enjoy. Good afternoon. My name is Michelle Jolie. I'm the CEO of Towerwall, and I'm really excited to have you here today to talk about how the changing landscape in the adversaries and web application uh, is, is just crazy right now. And we have Josh Davis with us from Fortra at Alert Logic, uh, who will be discussing uh, web application protection, how to, how to make sure we can keep the bad guys out. Josh, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me along, Michelle. Uh, my name is Josh Davis, as you said. I'm currently working um, as a technical product marketing manager um, within Alert Logic. But really, my credentials for being here today and how I kind of got there was my background as a security analyst. So um, I started off uh, six, seven years ago now as a security analyst um, doing incident response, incident triage, as well as threat hunting. So I've dealt a lot with web application attacks. They are the most common and, and prolific attacks because they're the easiest ones to launch. Um, and, and so I've, I've seen attacks fail. I've seen them succeed. And I've helped respond to them. And so in a, my current uh, life, I've been working really closely with the um, managed WAF team um, to understand more about that, how we can position the WAF to, to defend against these types of attacks. So hopefully you can share some of the insights that I have from my personal experiences helping organizations respond to attacks, as well as some of the stuff we're hearing from customers and just the industry in general. That's awesome. Thank you very much. And I, I truly appreciate you joining us today. So again, my name is Michelle Drolet. I am the CEO of Towerwall. We are a cybersecurity uh, pure play organization. I have been a partner of Fortra Alert Logic for the past almost three years now. Uh, and one of our superpowers is actually doing application penetration tests. And we just recently actually were, was hired by a bank that uh, was launching their new WWW. And before they launched it, they asked one of my team members to come in and do a, a full-fledged authenticated application penetration test. And when push came to shove, there were certain things that we found that the developers couldn't fix. And so it was a scramble to actually put in a web application firewall so that they could launch the application. And what we're seeing today is that it's not really a nice to have anymore. It's really a must have, whether you're a small organization or a large organization. So let's just talk about that, Josh. You know, what, what threat trends are you seeing with web applications right now? Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. So totally agree that it is a must have. You know, I think everybody at least has tried to download one off the shelf and try and manage it themselves. Um, later on, we might talk about how they can get the full value out of it. Uh, but the trends that we're, we're seeing, web apps have gotten more complex or more and more 
compartmentalized. It used to be that you had an application that would kind of do all things. It was one thing. You could kind of keep your eyes on it and keep it together. Now they tend to specialize into different applications perform specialized functions, which is really helpful if you're a dev team. You know, you want to fix something, upgrade something. It's, it's modular. You take one part out and you fix that. The rest of it can still run smoothly. You don't risk snapping everything that was connected uh, uh, together. Um, so that means there's no attack surface, though for the attackers to probe you. There are now, say, rather than just one attack vector, it's oversimplifying slightly, but they've gone from one to, to many, many more. Um, so we've seen a rise uh, in, in attacks. You know, it's, it's kind of an obvious thing to say, but I think it's still worth saying. Attackers are constantly scanning the internet for um, vulnerable machines. And so the easiest things them to do is to set a machine to run day and night to target every single public IP address that's out there. So web applications, by the very nature of being transacting over the web, they have public IPs, they're accessible. I often compare them to being the front door to your network. They're the most obvious things for attackers to knock on. Um, and so they are constantly knocking. You know, there's a lot of noise, a lot of unsuccessful attacks because they can just freely sit there and try their entire library of attacks to see which one might be successful. Um, the, the other trends we see, I might get more into this, some of the assistants using things like generative AI. Um, we, that has been really on the rise. You know, everybody's talking about generative AI. Chat GPT has really brought it into the public uh, sphere of discourse. Um, and there are many uses for us as defenders to kind of use these AI things. You know, we have been using AI in our detections, in our in our rules for blocking to detect anomalous behaviors, um, stuff that we, you know, we call unknown threats because we can't write a rule for them yet because they're so new and novel. We don't know what that rule would look like. Machine learning AI can be good at detecting some of those. But on the other side, the attackers are starting to use those as well. They are starting to behave, make their attacks behave more and more like a real person, which means it can be quite difficult for us to um, block them. Because ultimately, when you're looking at blocking web application attacks, you want to you've got to balance your false positives, which are blocking legitimate uses, legitimate traffic. So, say Michelle, you were to log on to let's say Amazon.com to go and buy something. If it was a false positive block, it would stop you and say, you think you're an attacker, you can't progress any further. They're not getting the $20 you were going to spend there. So their businesses hate that. On the other side, um, we, if you aren't restrictive enough, you're going to get false negatives, which means they allow things to slide through. So it's always that balancing act. And now AI has made it even harder because where we would use things to detect, oh, that's definitely a machine, you know. Maybe somebody's using a, a fridge in a botnet army to attack you. That's actually a bit more common than you think. It's quite easy for us to work out what a fridge is. But now they're able to tell these fridges to kind of behave a bit more like people, a bit more like yourself browsing Amazon, um, which makes it more difficult for us as defenders to kind of catch these uh, things. That's interesting. And when we talk about applications, let's kind of define what that what that is, because we talked about WWWs, and that's kind of an easy one because everybody has one right mm -hmm. but but there's third-party applications and people what our customers think a lot of times is well they're okay mm -hmm. and it's like well they're okay but not in your necessarily instance right so the hr applications the the financial applications the you know there's a whole bunch of different things the salesforce the Mm -hmm. Yeah, all, all sorts of different things. But how how do organizations go around protecting that as well? Absolutely. So if some of the stuff that like you touch on the SaaS, the software as a service, like your your sales forces or your SharePoint, if you're using Microsoft, um, you know the, those that is an example of web apps that we're using on a daily basis. And 
to some degree, that is the responsibility of the provider to secure them and have a web application firewall in front of them. Um, however, there are avenues that they can't protect against things like credential um, attacks against those. So they might you know, brute force. In fact, credential attacks are account for 75% of web application breaches. So um, they are one of the biggest types of attacks that are successful. So you need to be aware of that. Make sure you're still having you know, good passwords in place for those ones you're interacting with. Um, but also it's ones you have in-house or maybe with your third parties that might be less obvious than those because you don't use a web browser to access. APIs is a really big one. So APIs, application programming interfaces. Um, essentially what that is is a simple menu for you to interact with, a way to interact with a web application without having to go through all the kind of user-guided interface. Um, so the example I often use is if you go on a news website, um, you know, they tell you the news, they populate their own news stories, um, and they write that onto their own web app. They might have a weather widget, because often people come to look at the weather when they're looking at the news as well, but they're not going to stand up a, a team who can go and you know, to meteorologists and work out what the weather is. They're going to ask a third party if they can have access to their weather information and just present it on their website. Um, so what you actually get is when you're contacting one website, it makes tons of calls outside of that own web application as well to others in order to bring back that unified experience that you that you are getting. Um, so you need to be aware of the APIs you're interacting with in third party and also which APIs you have exposed that your workers are using that maybe your partners might be using or even your customers might be using because um, that is that's exploded. API traffic now accounts for, uh, Akamai said, 80% of the current yeah. network traffic. Um, when I first saw that, I thought, surely not. Surely it's Netflix. And apparently, the streaming counts as an API call. So that, that's bumping up a lot of traffic. But it really, all the all the market analysts are really focused on API security now because it's this new type of attack surface that is slightly abstracted from us. Um, it, it's not something we're used to uh, it clicking on interacting with. Really, the only people who do that knowingly are the devs and engineers, the really technical people. Um, so it can often go by the wayside. But it's a, you know, the attackers are primed and ready to attack those as well. It's just another part of that attack surface that's ever expanding in the web application space that you need to make sure you're mitigating against in the right ways. Otherwise, um, it's an entry point into your organization, into your users and to your data as well. So all of that can incur costs, which is the bottom line, really, whether that's the app's not available for productivity or, or consumer reasons. You breach an SLA with a, with a partner who uses your, your portal, maybe, um, or your user's data is stolen and nobody trusts you anymore and you, or you get extorted on the dark web. And finally, what we're probably more used to is actually just the, them worming with their way through your applications into your wider network and, and doing some more traditional um, cyber attacks like a, like a full-on ransomware encryption attack. And so that goes back to kind of when we started this conversation is the need for a web application firewall, right? So what happens to an organization when their application's under attack and they're down? They're, they're a B2B, B2C, so now they're business. What, what, what do they do, Josh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it happens more often than you think. Um, I was doing some research and um, ESG reports showed that of the organizations queried, over half of them experienced a downtime in the web application due to an attack monthly. Now, I thought that 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 figure was kind of sounded okay. And then I heard the monthly part and I was like, wow, that's, that's actually crazy. So mm -hmm. the we kind of touched on some of the impacts of that. It's ultimately, it's going to affect the bottom line. It affects productivity. It affects sales. Um, it affects contractual obligations you might have um, with with third parties or, or partners 
Um, and also it, it's a bad experience for the users, that lack of trust, which is maybe less, more difficult to measure. And finally, compliance fines, right? You know, there's, if you're doing card transactions, you're going to be beholden to the PCI compliance. Fines can be associated mm -hmm. with that. Data protection as well. I know there's California have some rules and there are a few others in different U.S. states in the U.S. Massachusetts is coming out with their own NIPSA soon. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the EU, well, Europe, you know, we have the, the GDPR. So that, that can be, Facebook got fined billions recently because of how they were using data. And, you know, that, that was maybe more deliberate on their side, but it can also happen if you're just careless and, and let it be leaked out. So what happens is it's kind of an all on hands, all hands on deck moment. You know, developers, application owners, security analysts will be pulled out of bed when the application is down because you know, it is understood the impact yet. It is they are the most critical assets that a business um, owns uh, usually. So it's all hands on deck, and you have to get to the root of the problem. And now this will involve a lot of trawling through logs. If you have it trawling through network packets to see what was it that so it was sent to application that caused it in that time frame we saw it go to go down so it's, it's forensics and it can you have to kind of go work backwards from that point of compromise after you've taken everything off to contain it but, and and it may involve you rebuilding your whole application if you are good you have a mature security operations team able to root out the maybe the the symptoms of it so the whole cause of the the, the, the compromise um then you can address them individually, um, but that will be more difficult. And so it's, it's, sometimes it's a complete rebuild again. Sometimes it's a um, take, but ultimately it's always going to result in some form of downtime, some costs to an organization. So that's why WAF is a great tool. You know, if you can prevent an attack and I'm not going to tell you you can prevent 100% of all attacks. That's unrealistic. You know, the, we're all aware of that. Now I think we used to think or, or hope that we could build the walls as high as possible, but now, we know we can't stop everything, but if we can stop something, it's worth stopping it because it avoids. What I say, Josh, and I'm going to interrupt you. So, what I see our customers all the time is if we can lock the doors, shut the windows, lock the windows, you know, fill the holes so that we're as tight as we possibly can be and we're not completely like targeted, they're going to hit us and they're going to say, uh, that's too hard and go on to the next one. And that's what we want to do. We want to make everything we do from a cybersecurity perspective, you know, repeatable, measurable, you know, just so that, you know, and, and accountable, right? So let's step back here for two seconds. Mm -hmm. What is a web application firewall? Sure. So web application firewall. And, and why do you need it managed? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the web application firewall, people are probably more familiar with network firewalls. There's the firewall that you, you that everyone has on their computers and on their, their networks, which has a perimeter around your entire organization. Now that looks at connections coming in and out, and it usually just looks at who's it going to and where's it coming from. So that's the kind of first firewall. If we look at a web application firewall, we are going a lot deeper. We are now putting... Um, a firewall just ring fencing or in front of that one application or more specifically the different application backends so it can be you know as we discussed at the beginning a lot more than, than one that serves one user experience um, and that will that doesn't just look at where it's going who's coming from it looks at what you're actually sending what is the content um, have you asked it for 
um, go back to the Amazon example to look at versions of books from your favorite author. That's that's going to be fine. Have you asked it to do um, an SQL injection, you know, an injection attack, with some com some commands um, lines within there? That's going to smell suspicious and that's going to be blocked and stopped from even progressing, which really the strength there, and you alluded to it at the top of the call, is if uh, with the bank's example, even if you are vulnerable, the web application firewall sits in front of it, so it never gets to your application. So it's a safety net that protects you, even if you were susceptible to that attack. And mm -hmm. I think just to sum it up, the managed piece, of course. So you know, the managed piece, I guess, if we look at, to carry on that example of firewall versus web application firewall, the firewall is your hotel perimeter it's kind of most people are allowed in a hotel you, you let them in you just have obviously you want them to come through the gate maybe to get into the lobby once you get to the lobby then things start getting more specific that's when we get to our web application firewall examples where each door has their own key and its own security purpose built for the individual thing so uh, think of it as like a bodyguard who stands in front of a door within a hotel as the net web application firewall now the reason it's difficult to manage these WAFs is because as, as opposed to everyone coming in the front door um, and maybe some few few rules, it's very specific. I need to have a complete list of rules of who is expected to come in through this door um, and what are they expected to be doing? What are they expected to be to be even, you know, you're wearing, for example? Um, so that means that you need to have fully understand what the application is you're protecting. Um, you, you need to understand the ins and outs of the coding, what code language it uses, what vulnerabilities it has present and what the intended purpose of someone using the application is. So that you can then start to build out rules that only allow the expected traffic uh, through and drops all the bad traffic. So that requires an intimate understanding of the application. And it's not a point in time exercise. I'm sure you talk often to your customers about that. Your security is a journey. You can't, even if your security is superb right now, in a few weeks, you're going to have to revisit it potentially. Um, so it's that, it's that issue where... Applications are constantly being de developed, they're dynamic. You want to add a new feature that keeps you competitive or adds efficiencies. As you do that, your application changes and so your WAF rule sets has to change. Otherwise, it's gonna start blocking things when there's false positives that we discussed at the beginning of the call. So your, app your application file needs to evolve with it. Um, and it also, as well as the applications evolving, threats evolve. We touched on the using generative AI to launch the tax now. There's zero day threats that come out on, on a regular basis. You know, there's there, every other week I feel like I'm reading about um, what. And so we need to have good threat intelligence that is curated to match what we understand about the application. And we need to constantly be doing this and revisiting this. So that, that causes a real um Real, real, real overhead cost, right? You need people who are available 24 seven to do this because if it does block something it shouldn't, you need to go and fix that. that that's that all on hands deck uh, scenario. You need to have expertise. It can't just be anyone who's able to manage this. Um, this requires real um, real experience into what allocation attacks are and to fine tune these rules. Because if you don't take that approach of really having experts, really having a 24 seven team, what you might get is somebody who's got a WAF up there, um, but it's not living up to its full potential. It blocks the most basic of attacks, um, but anything else will allow it through. So that's that way I talked about those false negatives. You're letting false negatives through, um, which, which can cause compromise further down the line. So managed is really the way to address those elements, the way of complexity, and ultimately do it for less of an overhead than it would if you were to hire your own team and make sure they're trained. And well, you know, actually hire your own team right now, Josh. There's nobody out there to hire. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I, on the side, I do some stuff where I help people get into cybersecurity, kind of share some of my previous experience because we have this mm -hmm. massive cybersecurity skills gap. And 
you know, people in IT looking to get into security, there's a huge potential out there. But for people looking to to um, staff security teams, it's going to be difficult to hire someone. It's going to be even harder to retain them because the grass is always greener. I've experienced that myself. There are big offers out there. There's always somebody with a with a, 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 trying to lure you away. I, I understand that. So going back, so again, we do a lot. Tower Wall does a lot of application penetration testing, and we what we find is that developers are not developing secure code, right? They're developing aesthetically um, and fast. And now with AI, it's a little bit even faster, right? Mm -hmm. So the need for that web application firewall is in higher demand. And I don't think that people understand how important it is. Just like you said, with the firewall, I mean, I started selling firewalls in 1994 when people didn't know what it was. They said, is that a brick wall? Because the brick wall was the firewall in between build, you know, office buildings and things like that. And we've come a, far, a long way since then. But I think that the web application firewall needs to be just part of the cybersecurity stack inside an organization. What do you say to people that, What's the best way to ask that question? Um, that don't necessarily understand the vulnerabilities that they face day in and day out if they don't have that web application firewall and don't take care of it, do the care and feeding and have that managed component. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there isn't a huge amount of people that I talk to that I have to convince of that, which is good news. I think the evidence of that is just in in the numbers, the real world, right? The Verizon uh, DBIR report just came out. This just is the stats about the breaches. And 85% of the breaches occur with servers. That's the most breaches start with servers. And within that servers, 63% of them are web applications. So web applications are still you know, the number one way to have for a breach to, to, to access uh, be accessed through. And majority of vulnerabilities are in your applications as well. They're not in your networks. They're in the applications themselves that you host up there. So because of that, people usually have experienced some level of, of compromise or downtime from an attack. So they tend to understand the need for replication firewalls. Um, I think what can be more difficult is when they get one, they, they think, how, why is this not doing its job? Why am I still experiencing these attacks and still, still coming through? And that's where we get to that. You can buy the best tool in the world, but if you don't have the people and process the dedicated resources to actually optimize it, then you're only getting a fraction of that capability. It's like buying an F1 car and having no idea how to drive it and having no engineering team. <laughs> you're not, it's not going to get you very far. And that is a great example. <laughs> uh, and we all do that sometimes, don't we? Um, you know, understanding, you know, what that is. You know, how how do you optimize the protection of, of your applications, you know, with, with a WAF? Mm -hmm. So we touched on earlier that it's that continuous journey. It's needing to um, have dedicated experts. And when I say dedicated, you know, our experts only manage WAFs for our customers. So they are WAF experts through and through. But they meet with the um, application owners in order to understand what is it you've created? You know, you know, you're devs, you know what it is you've built and you know how you're building it. That stuff is easy for you to tell us and they're more than happy to discuss it. Um, in fact, 
you talk about the insecure code, sometimes we're able to catch them and say, oh, hang on, that's a bad idea. How about we kind of rejig that? Because it's yes, we can protect it on the WAF, but it would be much better if we protected it within the code. So that does happen sometimes as well. But when it comes to optimizing the policies, about understanding, having those regular touch points with the customer, let them letting us know when the next big change window is going to be so we can prepare, plan and prepare for that so they're ready to go. Um, and then it's also about populating with our threat, inter with threat, threat intelligence. You know, we as Fortua have insight into over 30,000 different customers across so many different spaces, whether it's email, whether that's data pre loss prevention, it's endpoint, um, it's you know, MDR, which is a broad. Um, we have great, we collated all that together and actually able to then say, here's the latest things that we've seen out there. We learn lessons from one compromise and we can expand that out to our customers. So it's that combination of true expertise, willingness to work with somebody and actually had that feedback from a customer who said, I've never met true experts with actual enthusiasm to help. And that's what I was really proud to hear that because they, somebody says, sometimes you get enthusiastic people without the expertise and vice versa. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, funny. That's yeah, funny. But it, but it's those, it's those two things. They need to come together and it needs to be a process that we constantly work on. So having the greatest features is all well and good, but actually being able to realize their capabilities and their value is, is the true strength. And, you know, we keep false positives. I talk to them about them a bit in this because I think that's an issue everyone understands who's tried to manage a WAF themselves. To an extent, they're a necessary evil. You know, we if we're not getting any false positives, we start to get a bit concerned um, because of how dynamic applications are. We expect something to change in the future, and there would be one, and then we'd resolve it. You know, within within the, the within the hour, the, within fifteen minutes, in some cases, that we get that sent through to us. Um, so it's about using um, it's about using adaptive uh, capabilities to actually change levels of protections that we're going to, or, or scrutiny that we're going to apply on people based on the connection trust that we have. And we use our threat intelligence to do that as well. So if we can see our IP addresses that we know behave badly, we put on our highest levels of rules for them. If we see somebody who's never, ever offended in our 30,000 customer base, we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt initially. But if they trip the first wire, we start moving them down the wire um, as well. So I think that's one of the ways that you can really make sure that you are um, optimizing the protections that you have. Um, and ultimately, Look, we have customers who do this, have tried, tried to do this themselves, huge enterprises in healthcare, manufacturing, finance. And they came to the conclusion, we don't want to do this ourselves. And they have been with us for a while now because they're so happy with the way that we do it. And actually, developers are happy as well because they no longer blame the WAF team when something goes wrong because they've got us <laughs> making sure that everything is, is kept uh, as it needs to be to make sure that they can succeed and their organization can thrive as well. Well, and we've had great success with our customers with the, the Fortra Alert Logic um, Managed WAF, and we really appreciate how you take good, great care of our customers. So we are running out of time. Um, so I would like to ask you one more question. Sure. So what, what are two takeaways uh, that, you know, just if, if they got two golden nuggets out of this conversation, to help them, the, the folks that are out there, to protect their applications? What would it be, Josh? Sure. So the first one would be make sure you've got protections against credential-based attacks. Uh, credential stuffing, brute force attacks, they account for around three quarters of all web application compromises. So if you have something to protect against that, and that starts with good pass password hygiene and um, policies. Um, you're making sure that you have MFA enabled and for your admin accounts as well as your users. 
um, and then also some form of, of detection to actually catch those brute force attacks. Um, you know, if you ever had been hit by a capture, that's often a defense to that where they think you're a robot and you're trying to do, enter, you've entered too many passwords and, and, and then they think you're a robot. That type of thing is the biggest bang for your away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but as we discussed, now AIs are also able to click those boxes successfully until they're not a robot. So um, though they are getting more, so I expect with that AI addition on the attacker side, I'm expecting credential attacks to continue to be the biggest attack vector for successful uh, uh, compromises. The second one is if you, you ha don't have a WAF, get a WAF, probably not many of you who haven't done that. But if you do have a WAF, don't just relax knowing that you've got one. It, they are, there are different degrees to which you could be getting value out of that WAF. Um, and you don't want it to be a case where you can find where, where it's a compromise that tells you your WAF wasn't working correctly. T touch base with your application teams, your security teams, and then ask them what are they doing to make sure that your WAF is constantly kept up to date and they are realizing the true capabilities of it. If you identify that maybe there's a weakness out there, a flaw out there, maybe looking at managed service is, is the way to go because management can really take that headache away from you and let your developers focus on what's really going to add value in business uh, to your business. You know, you can't write a PR statement about a new WAF rules that you wrote. You can write a PR statement about a new feature you added to your web application. So let's enable people to do that instead of um, focusing on security. I love that. Josh, thank you so much. So the takeaways that I heard was watch out for your credentials and then make sure that the, the WAF that you have is constantly being taken care of and managed is probably better and getting your applications, application teams involved. So Josh Davies, thank you for joining us from Fortra. Again, my name is Michelle Dorley from Towerwall. If there's any questions, uh, we are here to, uh, to answer. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information on how TowerWall can be your fifth wall of cybersecurity, visit us at TowerWall.com.